Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, 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 Another episode of the Keep It Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who haven't been this excited for a schedule drop since Survivor Season 41 was announced last summer. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski. With me, as always, to break down the upcoming schedule, a bunch of injuries, a bunch of outjuries, hot streaks, cold streaks, the whole shebang, it's my co-host, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. For anybody who does not join us live on YouTube, which is fine, I promise you, you're not missing much. But I was sharing with Elon off air before we started about the losing skid that I am on, like never before. I am going through like what Elias Pettersson is going through on the ice. I've never had a run of futility in fantasy the way I am in tier two of the cupful right now. I'm afraid I'm losing my week, but. That is all the more motivation for me to have done my homework and research for this show so that I could get the best info to share with you so that you can have more success this following week than I've been having for the last four or five. I believe in you all, maybe more than I believe in myself at this point. But this is uh, this is what happens in fantasy, a little crisis of confidence. It happens to the best of us. If you ever need to talk, I'm around. <laughs> hey, I mean, that's the thing with head-to-head, right? Every single matchup, there's a winner and there's a loser. And unfortunately, sometimes you wind up the loser a couple times in a row. Unfortunately, Brian's opponent has Jesper Brad. It was right before we started that Brian was like, did Jesper Brad just score again? Oh, and then, you know, I'm trying to keep my happiness down because I have famously happy Jesper Brad on my couple team and I'm very happy with that. But that's how she goes, right? But Brian, I think we've got a really fun show for today. I'm really excited to hear all of this research that you've done, maybe painstakingly so. Uh, before we get into everything, of course, let's mention that Keeping Carlson is very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world, which I think is fitting because I think we've got a pretty good fantasy hockey podcast. We're presented by the best fantasy hockey website, and that's where I go every day to help us stay informed because they have the ramblings every day, great articles. It's just like r- everything you need to know to be successful in fantasy. It's all there at Dauber Hockey, plus the tools at Frozen Tools, invaluable to prepping the show, being successful in fantasy. So check it all out at DauberHockey.com. But okay, Brian, like I was alluding to at the top, before we get into all of the players we want to talk about, we've had a big drop. A bunch of NHL games have been scheduled. If you listen to the latest Stream Scheme episode, Ben and Jesse Sevier, thanks so much, by the way, to Jesse from Fantasy Hockey Life for subbing in for Lewis on Thursday. They did a really great show where they talked about the schedule, but at the time that they recorded that show, Yahoo hadn't yet announced that they're going to actually be splitting up that February monster matchup into three smaller matchups. So now we need to take a look at the actual implications of what's going to be going on over these next four weeks now that we know what's going on in our fantasy leagues, especially for the people playing on Yahoo. So I'm just going to give you a quick breakdown, Brian, and then we can analyze, okay? So next week, it's week 15 on Yahoo, okay? It's a pretty standard week. Actually, it's a pretty busy week. If you listen to Dave Benton's stream scheme, which I definitely recommend that you do, he's talked about how like maybe it's almost too many games next week, making it tricky to stream. But uh, 13 teams play four times. There's only three teams that play twice. Nashville, Tampa, Toronto. So, you know, pretty typical. It happens. Every week there's like some teams that play two, some teams that play four, the majority play three. So that's what's going on. Then... Things are going to get wonky, okay? Uh, The game week 16 is going to be a two 
regular week matchup. It's going to go over two weeks because it's the all-star break in between, which happens every season in fantasy. So that's from January 31st to February 13th. And this is going to be, I think, the craziest week I've ever seen for a fantasy matchup because there are some teams playing one time and there's some teams, well, one team playing seven times. So it's like the most insane disparity I think I've ever seen. Okay, so uh, on the low end, LA, the Rangers, and San Jose play once, okay, during that whole two-week matchup. Then you've got Anaheim, Florida, St. Louis, they play twice. Uh, Buffalo, Colorado, Minnesota, Nashville, Philly, Seattle, Tampa, Vegas play three. I mean, you can look through the rest. And then on the high end, New Jersey plays six times, and Ottawa plays seven times. So if you've got, like, Brady Kachuk and your opponent has Nikita Kucherov, you're loving life, right? And obviously, vice versa, not so good. And then the, the following week, by the way, is going to be back to like a regular one-week matchup. But again, a huge disparity. New Jersey and Tampa, only one game. Edmonton, five games. There's some teams with two. There's some teams with four. And then week 18 kind of goes back to normal. So as far as the advice we can give, this is the main thing I'm thinking, okay? And I'm very curious to see what Brian's going to say. Like, I think for week 16 and 17, you got to look at who you and your opponents have and see if it's like even worth like stressing about it you know like if you look and see that you are down like 80 games to 50 or something insane like that you know before the matchup even starts obviously try your best like you know like set your lineups but you know you might want and and like vice versa if you're the one that's ahead by a lot then you might want to strategize a bit about not caring so much about that result as much as like preparing for the following weeks maybe like grabbing players who are dropped you know like tampa bay plays like three times in one matchup, then one time in the next matchup. So I think a lot of Tampa players might get dropped, maybe a Palat, you know, like a a potentially pretty uh, useful player to you. So I feel like that's going to be the kind of thing where you're going to want to like, obviously try your best to win, but be aware of when the win or the loss is like out of reach. Like it's basically decided and you might want to start thinking ahead sooner than you usually do. I think that's great advice, Elon. It might be over right away, which is a great reason for you to start thinking future forward, especially in leagues. Keep in mind, uh, you'll still probably just have, you know, if you have a, a limited amount of ads you can make, you'll still have that same amount over the two-week period that uh, game week 16 takes place. So... Use them carefully and use them thoughtfully. Uh, and I think it's a great idea, Elon, to get a bit of a forecast of what your week looks like and then decide pretty soon whether or not you're going to go for it. And if you're stacked with guys who are only going to play one or two games this week or your opponent is stacked with guys who's going to play four or five or even has, uh, say, Jesper Bratt, Jack Hughes, and Damon Severson all playing six games or Kachuk Norris and Alex Formanton playing seven games, then yeah, reconsider exactly how hard you want to compete and how much you can look to next week. It reminds me of, um, you know, around the playoffs when people start dropping, like looking for players to add because of their playoff schedules. This is kind of that. You're looking for players who have good schedules in the second half who might get dropped by teams who are looking to compete right away. So it could be a good time for you to be on the losing end of a week because you've got a lot of time to plan ahead. Of course, if you're going to win and compete the week, go for it. Don't throw the week. But also, if you're like first in the standings by a mile and this week doesn't matter so much, maybe you take your foot off the gas just a little bit to make sure that your team is still going to be set up for the weeks after this long one, even if you are throwing away a bunch of games played. 
Yeah, and of course, when Brian's saying take your foot off the gas, what what we mean by that is like uh, when you're making your ads, maybe you're not streaming someone who plays like a Monday Tuesday, but instead streaming someone that's looking good for like the the following weeks. And Brian, I really like your comparison there to like the playoffs. I think of like when you have a bye week, that's like the sweetest thing to have. I think in fantasy because while other people are struggling to like fight for their lives in their playoff matchups, you just get to watch as a player who doesn't play between like Wednesday and Saturday that normally would be roster gets dropped, and you get to pounce. So maybe this will be an opportunity just like that. Like you said, by the way, huge. Thing Thanks to uh, Ben Burnett, uh, uh, Short Shifts host, and my Tier 1 competitor, because he just made a trade with Jordan in Tier 1, where Ben basically got Batherson, Barry, Hyman, and someone else, and gave away, like, Stamkos, Ryan Johansson, uh, Troy Terry, and Ricard Raquel. Basically, he gave Jordan all the players who don't play very much in that Week 16, and I'm playing Jordan in that week. So that was like, I just want to say thank you so much to Ben and Jordan for making that trade, because I I was looking at my team and thinking, like, I'm pretty screwed for that week. Like, I have the Panthers and Colorado players, you know, that I rely on the most, and my those teams don't play that much. But then I realized that Jordan also now doesn't have that many players that play a lot of games, because he traded them all the way. Obviously, Jordan's thinking more long-term, Ben thinking more short-term. It makes both sense. I I love a trade that works well for both people, because obviously Ben is uh, climbing his way back up the standings apparently he's undefeated since nikita kucherov returned but anyways with that brian i think we can get to some actual player discussion which is what people come to keeping carlson for and so let's start with some injuries and outjuries and i want to start in montreal where we've seen quite a bit of churn for the league's lowest ranked team uh, as far as the positives go both tyler toffoli and josh anderson returned to the lineup last week but of course that's coincided with jonathan Druen being placed on the ir joining brendan gallagher who actually could be back soon uh, cole caulfield's in the COVID protocol but still these returns, especially of Toffoli, have been fantastic for people rostering Habs top liners. Like, Toffoli had a goal and an assist in his return in the upset win over Dallas earlier this week. Then Toffoli scored versus Vegas. He had an assist versus the Avs. Uh, he had three, three, and four shots in those three games. I gotta admit, Brian, I'm definitely kicking myself. I had the option to grab Toffoli off of free agency, even to stash an IR in the Cupful or in our other keeper league. He was a free agent in both of those leagues because, you know, when he got hurt, that was around the time when, like, so many players were going on the COVID protocol. No one had room in IR to fit these guys and he was still you know not expected to be back for a while now i'm thinking like whoever grabbed him so smart this guy like he had a great year last year he's come back He's been fantastic so far in the three games. Plus, his return has totally busted Nick Suzuki's cold streak. Suzuki only had one goal in 10 games before this week, but he's now riding a three-game point streak himself with a goal and four assists in that span. Uh, so Toffoli, only 42% rostered on Yahoo. Got to imagine he's an obvious guy for our listeners to jump on, right? And then in shallower leagues where even like a Suzuki is available, he's only 66% rostered. I feel like he's also an obvious grab right now if he had been dropped during his cold streak. So Brian, are you in on this top line in Montreal featuring Suzuki and to Foley, or do you think this is just like a lucky week but hey it's the Habs you don't want to get too excited about these guys can it be a bit of both uh, it's a little column a this is something that we could get excited about because to and Suzuki are clicking and it's a little bit of column b this is Montreal and speaking of Montreal we can't separate the Habs from Toffoli. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Toffoli, like all the Habs, had a really disappointing start to the year. Uh, Toffoli was just on a 54-point pace with 17 points in 26 games. And that's a reality check for anyone hoping that a loaded top line in Montreal this year that was going to feature, we were hoping, right? Suzuki, Toffoli, and Caulfield would be their one hugely productive line, while the other three lines just kind of held it down and played their roles. And that never really ended up coming to fruition, unfortunately. But what's really promising to me this time around is that into Foley's return, along with those four points in three games, is that he racked up those 10 shots in those three games. 
before uh, to fully return from injury. He was taking just two and a half shots per game to start the season with some especially low five-on-five shot rates compared to what we would expect from him. And we have high expectations for Toffoli. I think in the right situation, Toffoli does have point-per-game upside. Unfortunately, LA was never the right situation for him. Montreal doesn't seem to be either. Vancouver would have been, and everybody's upset about that. But looking at just Toffoli in Montreal now, it'd be really nice if he could keep up what he's doing, especially starting with increased shot rates. And that could make Toffoli a season-long hold and could also bring Nick Suzuki back into being a steadily fancy relevant player. I'm not counting my chicks before they hatch here, but if either of these guys are available in competitive leagues to Foley or Suzuki, I'd go nab them. You know, we were talking last week about Jonathan Taves and Dominique Kubalik uh, because they were playing with Patrick Kane. By the way, the lines have changed there since. But if Toffoli and Suzuki happen to be available in your leagues, which is is less likely than Taves and Kubalik being available in your leagues, but I would jump at Toffoli and Suzuki faster than I would have those Chicago guys and go ahead. I would pause the pod to go add Toffoli if it's not already too late for you. If it is too late, your consolation is that this Montreal team is still very bad and there's no guarantee anybody can be consistently good on it. So uh, again, just going back to the original question, Elon, yeah, there's a chance Toffoli can be, you know, 60, 65 point player and bring Suzuki along with him. But there's also a chance it all falls apart really quickly. So I'm, I'd be very happy to have Toffoli on my team, though, while I waited to find out how this ends. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. If I could get him, I would. I wish that I did, but I didn't. So I'll move on. Uh, if you're in a really deep league, the player that they've recently been lining up with it, by the way, is Arturi Lekkonen, who's also riding a three-game point streak. Uh, so I don't know if you we maybe, I don't know, it seems like kind of crazy to start recommending like the third wheel on the top line on Montreal. Plus, don't forget, like I said, Gallagher might be back, the lines can shake up, but it seems like these three have been playing well together over this past week. So, I don't know, during this episode, Brian, I'm going to be bringing up a lot of sort of like low rostered, very only deep league options, and Arturi Lekkonen is the first one. So as we bring up other ones, I'll be comparing them to him, and then we'll be comparing them to each other. But what do you think about Lekkonen right now uh, as the third wheel on this top line in Montreal? It's a pretty sweet spot to be in, right, with Suzuki and Toffoli. Yeah, I saw a friend of the pod and Dauber hockey writer Michael Clifford making uh, an Evan Rodriguez comparison to, with Arturi Lekkonen on Twitter in a, in a tidy little thread the other day. I mean, we, we've always thought Lekkonen had some upside. The guy's 26 years old now, and he's never had a real chance. But this year, Lekkonen has actually stepped up his game in a noticeable way on the spreadsheet, mostly because he's not getting a ton of time on the ice to stretch his stuff. But under the hood, Lekkonen does look like he's taken a step forward and could be a legit top six player. But we've been seeing this forever. We've been saying he could even be a good top line player, if not someone who drives a line, someone uh, like a strong complementary player, like say uh, the way Dedanov was over in Florida. Uh, maybe that's setting the bar really high, but the bottom line here is I like Lekkonen. I like him even more based on what I've been seeing from him lately this season, and I like him as a third wheel with Zafoli and Suzuki. Again, I'll go back to Taves and Kubalik last week. If I had either of those guys, uh, they haven't gotten anything in the way of points. They've put a few shots on net, which is nice, but I would swap either guy out for Arturi Lekkonen just to see if this line really does take off and Lekkonen's along for the ride. I think he can cash in. Nice. Okay, yeah, totally makes sense. And I, by the way, I also mentioned that Josh Anderson came back. He hasn't been scoring or like even shooting much, but hey, 19 hits in the four games since returning. So at least you're getting something in your bangers leagues if you grabbed Josh Anderson off the wire. And then sticking with Montreal, 
in net. Jake Allen is now going to be out long term. He's joining Carey Price on the IR. Uh, even Sam Montembeau wasn't available for Saturday's game versus Carolina, which led to the fifth stringer, a guy named Michael McNiven. He was called up to back up Caden Primo, who did quite well for himself, actually. He stopped 43 of 46 against Colorado, which is not an easy game. It's also worth pointing out that Montembeau had a pretty big week fantasy-wise before getting hurt. He made 48 saves versus Dallas and 49 saves versus Vegas, both 925-plus save percentage games. So I don't know if like if Montembeau is going to be back soon. Uh, like if he's not, then I guess Caden Primo becomes what Jake Allen was earlier in the year, which is like a starting goalie getting likely a lot of saves on a really bad team, which sometimes could be good depending on your league format, right? But if Montembeau comes back, I guess maybe it's close to fifty fifty or maybe not. Uh, Brian, are, are you having any interest right now? Like, have you been looking to your matchup next week and thinking about adding a Caden Primo or like stashing a Sam Montembeau in your IR for if slash when he comes back? Because it looks like Allen and Price aren't coming back anytime soon. I can't see Primo or Montembeau holding up so well, but if you get to face 45, 50 shots a night, and we've talked about how Montreal has one of the worst team defenses in the league, uh, you know, Montembeau saw 50 shots a night twice in a row, and then Primo did too. I think there's value in that volume for leagues that reward it. So as long as Montreal is giving up that many shots against, I think I would add either guy, Primo or Montebo, whichever one's starting, then cover my eyes and peek through my fingers at the box score when it's all said and done to see what the damage is outside of the saves column. I wonder if all that rubber they're seeing is a reflection of teams looking at like, oh, we were shooting on Caden Primo or Sam Montembeau and think, okay, well, let's just shoot from anywhere. Or if they're actually just getting that many looks for shots on a, on a weak defense against a weak defensive Montreal team. Um, so it's a question that I might want to look into if these 50 shot against appearances continue for the Habs. But for now, uh, if saves are rewarding for you in your format, if a guy is seeing 45, 50 shots a night, if he gives up four or five goals, that might not be a big deal if goals against average, of course, isn't one of your key categories and uh, you're you're not likely to see many wins. But either of these guys is worth a shot for volume. And just before we move on to the next team, Elon, if you haven't gotten your fill of Montreal Canadiens talk, uh, Dave Benton's got some more on this week's stream scheme. He's got one uh, one more hab to talk about as a top-end streamer coming up this week, and that goes with all the schedule talk you mentioned at the start of the session. So check our show notes to uh, to go get some more fantasy hockey content in your ears. Yeah, uh, no shortage over with the Keeping Carlson family with Short Shifts and Stream Scheme and all the great shows. But okay, let's try to... Uh, continue making this hopefully a good show uh go to the next team here uh sticking in the league's basement uh let's go to the arizona coyotes they welcomed jacob chikrin back into the fold last week and unfortunately chikrin's return has not been as exciting as to foley's he only managed one assist in his three games and actually saw really low time on ice numbers chikrin was playing closer to like 20 minutes a game way down from his season average which has been over like 24 minutes a game so i don't know if he's being eased back into the lineup or if he's just like not liked (laughs) i don't know but uh he's definitely in a similar place as John Klingberg. I believe we talked last week about Klingberg as someone who was, was slumping, but perhaps worth holding because he might get traded. I know a lot of people like get excited about a player being traded. We actually discussed Klingberg last week and said how you probably don't want him to get traded, right? He was actually in a pretty good spot in Dallas, and he held true to that. He actually had a very good week. Klingberg had four assists versus Buffalo on Thursday, three on the power play, and he had a power play assist versus Detroit on Friday. Gotta imagine, though, with Jacob Chikrin, it's the opposite, right? Like, actually, uh, someone named Robert just came into our live chat here, and the 
the first thing he asked was any news on Chikrin to the Rangers. Uh, on one hand, you may think, yeah, but the Rangers have Adam Fox, like, is there really a role? But honestly, like, I feel like even like going to the Rangers and being on the second power play is probably still a better spot than being on the second power play on Arizona, since the Rangers at least score more goals. So I'd imagine Chikrin managers, if they're frustrated, the one reason they're holding is because of these trade rumors to like a Rangers. I've also seen rumors to Florida. Obviously, going to a high scoring team like that could be pretty huge and maybe save what's been a very disappointing season. So what do you think about Chikrin at this point? I'm not getting too excited about Jacob Chikrin, although we should mention he still was on the top power play a lot, sharing with Gostas Bear in a 3-forward 2-D setup. But the last three games, Chikrin has been on the second unit, decidedly. Uh, though both power plays in Arizona look like second power play units, but Chikrin's is getting less time. It definitely is the second unit. You know, some teams have a 1A, 1B power play. Arizona has a two-way 2B power play. But enough uh, ragging on the Coyotes. I, I think a move away from Arizona would be good for Shikrin. I don't think that's a terribly hot take. I mean, I guess it would take away the opportunity that Shikrin has to shift back up to the top power play in Arizona if he goes to a team. Like, think about Truba going to the Rangers and never having that shot at quarterbacking a top power play that we thought he could have moving. And Shikrin could just be stuck for sure on a second power play instead of having that chance to be on the top power play. So that would be the downside of Shikrin moving away from Arizona. But it's also never good for a defenseman's offensive numbers uh, to play for a team that ranks amongst the bottom five in five-on-five offense. And that describes what Shikrin is doing in Arizona. So maybe, just maybe, if Shikrin does move, his value gets a... I don't know. It's probably a wash at the end of the day. Maybe he gets a little bump from playing with better players at five on five. But if there's no clear path to power play one, that hurts him there. I would say Arizona being successful in Arizona would be the best case for Shikrin. But I just don't know that we can count on that happening at this point, which is a bummer. Someone with so much fantasy upside and value and excitement after last season, we knew he would come down, but we didn't see it going exactly this way. This is worse than we thought it would be. Yeah, and don't forget, before his injury, he was at least like taking a lot of shots, which was really great. Uh, obviously, you don't have as much opportunity to shoot when you're not getting as much ice time. So hopefully, Chikrin has just been getting this lower ice time because he's being eased back into the lineup after injury. So I'm definitely be watching closely over this next week. Like if I had him in any of my teams, I wouldn't be dropping him just yet unless it's a super shallow league. But obviously, if he continues to now not get as much ice time, that would be uh, concerning and a reason to, you know, drop him down even further. But for now, I, I would definitely hold... Uh, since we're on Arizona, there's not like only players struggling. Like even though the team overall, like you're saying, Brian is bottom five in scoring, somehow Clayton Keller is still doing just fine, right? And by the way, he's only forty percent rostered on Yahoo, which is pretty wild to me. He's been like fire since his slow start to the year. He started the season with six points in his first sixteen games, but then since then, twenty five points in twenty four games. Clayton Keller is breaking out in front of our eyes, and it's like maybe even more impressive that he's doing it on this Arizona team. Like his line mates have been Nick Schmaltz and Travis Boyd, who I'll get to in a second this is like an Arturi Lekkinen situation in terms of like they become interesting to me just because they're playing with Clayton Keller but first let's start with Keller is what you're seeing for real like can we expect this guy maybe even if you don't want to say point per game rest of the way can we expect let's say a 70 point pace rest of the way or do you think he's like riding some really unsustainable numbers and it's about to fall apart 
We had G. Rusky bring up Clayton Keller in our Discord server a couple weeks back. And and yeah, his numbers are really eye-popping and worth taking a moment to break down. At that point, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Clayton Keller had just finished a run of six games where he'd taken 35 shots and scored six goals on those 35 shots, plus three assists for nine points over six games. And Keller was also averaging like 22 minutes a night. Thanks to roles on both the power play and the penalty kill, Keller has cooled off a bit since then, relatively, but still having some great performances. The odd thing here was that Keller's sudden burst of shots a couple weeks back came after a bunch of single-shot outings, and has since been followed by several zero- and one-shot games, with these four-, six-, and seven-shot games sprinkled in. So Clayton Keller is still shooting inconsistently, but I'm still really excited by the possibility that Keller could be a 60 to 65 point guy the rest of the season. And I think the one thing fueling my belief in that possibility is definitely Clayton Keller's time on ice. The last two seasons, he was averaging 16 and a half minutes a night, but new coach Andre Turini in Arizona has unleashed Clayton Keller with nearly 20 minutes a night in all situations with substantially more five-on-five time especially. And it's about time that Clayton Keller got this shot to run wild. It's great to see him taking advantage some nights too. I think Clayton Keller is absolutely worth rostering. You just need to be ready and this is going to come with the deal with the way Keller's playing right now. Just be ready to deal with the occasional run of zero or one-shot games along the way, and also not much support from the team around him. But all of this is not to dissuade you from going to add Keller. You should strongly consider adding Keller to your fantasy team if he fits. There's just going to be a little bit of unfun to put up with while you do, but I think he's going to make it worth your while. And I, I see I see positive returns coming from Keller the rest of the season, the type that we haven't seen from him for a long, long time. Yeah, nice for Arizona to finally be getting something out of that big contract they signed him to. And he's really like showing himself to be a leader on this team at the moment. And like I said, like bringing along some line mates lately, it's been Nick Schmaltz and Travis Boyd, uh, Mattia and I in our Dynasty League were co-managers and we added Travis Boyd. This is like a super deep league. And obviously in a Dynasty League, when you take a player, you have to like keep their contract or like buy them out. So it's a whole thing. But Travis Boyd uh, making like a league minimum on a one-year deal, which we thought, why not? And he's been great ever since we've added him. And I think I think he might even become interesting in a non-crazy deep league just because not only has he been playing on an even strength line with Clayton Keller, he's also been playing on Power Play 1 recently with Phil Kessel, Shane Gossesfair, and Andrew Ladd. I needed to recheck that, but yeah, Andrew Ladd's been on the top power play there as well. So maybe that's just not making the best case about how great it is to be on power play one, or at least not saying it's like a guarantee for points. But hey, uh, if you're in a super deep league and if you're looking at an Arturi Lekkonen and let's say Travis Boyd is also available, you're getting a similar schedule, Brian, or I guess let's also, also throw Nick Schmaltz there in the picture. He's not on the top power play, but he actually is uh, pointing okay every once in a while as well. Like do these third or I guess second and third wheels in Arizona compare to Lekkonen? And who would you like if we were going to keep a ranking of these guys? I would prefer Lekkonen to both of them. I mean, your talk about that top Arizona power play is why I called it a 2A, 2B situation. If you have Andrew Ladd and uh, Travis Boyd on your top unit, is it really a top unit? But look, if Clayton Keller's going, they get some value. They're exposed to Keller at even strength. They're getting power play time. So, sure, they could be worth a deep look, but I would rather Lekkonen than both of them. 
Okay, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'll take Lekkonen also as my number one super deeply streamer of the week so far. Uh, okay, so we're doing still injuries and outries here. Let's do some good news and bad news in Winnipeg. Blake Wheeler returned right along with Nikolai Ehlers being moved to the LTIR with his lower body injury. So today versus Pittsburgh, we're recording this on Sunday, uh, Blake Wheeler... As expected, right back on the top line, top power play playing with Shifley and Kopp. The second line was Connor Dubois and Cole Perfetti. Uh, Wheeler was pointless in his return versus Boston, scored a goal three minutes in versus Pittsburgh in today's game. And that's actually when I was prepping the show. So let me see. Since then, Wheeler, oh, he also picked up an assist on a goal by Kyle Connor, a power play goal. So Wheeler's just like in a really good spot. He's producing. I know earlier on in the season when he was struggling, we discussed this actually on our patron cast just this past Wednesday. We talked about Wheeler, Brian. And like we talked about how he was cold for a while. A lot of people were asking about him. Uh, but he was actually then on a really crazy run before he got hurt. He had 12 points in his previous seven games before the injury. Now he seems to be picking up where he left off. So, Brian, I remember at the time when he was cold, you were saying how we need to like a- adjust our expectations. Maybe not expect him to be the 70-point guy that he was in the previous two years. But... Are, like, is that still the case? Or at this point, should we just be like, look, yeah, he's older. Maybe he's lost a bit of a step, but clearly he's still clicking with Shifley. He's in a great spot. He's producing. Maybe he can be the 75 point guy that he has been over the last couple of years. Like, what do you think? Like, like is this a sell high time or is this like, uh, no, this is for real. What I'm about to say about Blake Wheeler, Elon, might surprise you. First, let's look at what he's done. A 65-point pace for Wheeler. Is this clickbait? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You you got the reference. Keep listening. Uh, So, But you're already listening, so I don't know what the point is. But maybe you're listening closer, except now we've bantered about something. But Blake Wheeler, 65-point pace so far. He's played with Pierre-Luc Dubois or Mike Scheifele all season, both who are playing like top-line centers. That's a good place to be. And I will admit, Blake Wheeler looks better than I thought he would this season. And that's on the score sheet and under the hood. His shot rates and expected goals rates at five on five are actually up from the last few years, as well as his ice time somehow. This is Blake Wheeler at 35, staving off decline pretty well, I gotta say. And he's only got two goals on 60 shots so far. And that's not me knocking him at all for context. Last year, Blake Wheeler took twice as many shots on goal, and he scored 15 times. So, of course, do the math. The equivalent this year, if he shot twice as much with his current shooting percentage, would be four goals for Blake Wheeler. But that's to say, I think he's deserved more than he's gotten. Blake Wheeler has yet to score a goal at five on five, but I think that's just been bad luck for him. Wheeler's teammates are also scoring on fewer than 7% of the shots taken while he's on the ice at five on five, which is also maybe taken a couple points away from him too. So I'm surprising myself here. Rather than sell high, Elon, I actually wonder if he's one of our buy high kind of candidates. Sure, the season could wear on Wheeler. He is ancient at 35 years old, and he could slow down with time. But the pattern of decline that we saw coming into this season that gave us reason to think, yeah, don't expect the same thing from Wheeler this year. It's not looking good. He seems to have reversed that pattern of decline this year. So I can buy into a 75-point Wheeler if he can keep up what he's doing, especially top line, top power play. I'm also just going to balance that with a reminder that the bigger downside for Wheeler is obviously still present, uh, like a, having that worst case scenario be worse than it has for Wheeler in years past, again, because of the age. But still, I'm intrigued. And I might try and find 
uh, the Wheeler manager in the leagues where I don't have him, which is all of them, because I wasn't thinking much about Blake Wheeler coming into the year. But I might go tap the Blake Wheeler manager on the shoulder and say, hey, you really think this is going to last? Don't you think this is a good time to sell? And if they think that this is just a blip and Wheeler is not actually a 70, 75 point player, I might be able to get a deal on him. So uh, I'm very ready to eat my words on this again. Like I've been wrong about Wheeler once already this season. I'm staking my claim to say, yeah, Wheeler is surprising me. He actually looks good. And uh, I hope I hope I'm right this time. I don't have to change my take again. I'm open to the possibility I will. But that's what surprised me when looking into Blake Wheeler. He's looking good at 35. And yeah, I'll say it one more time. I think he might be a decent buy high. See if you can get him on the cheap from someone who does who has him but doesn't believe in him. Okay. And if you have him, you're happy because you maybe got him out of free agency when he was slumping earlier in the year. So congratulations on maybe an out of the year potential candidate. Uh, by the way, uh, back to our super deep league rankings. We should mention Cole Perfetti, right? He is the 2020 10th overall pick. And right now he's playing in a great spot with Dubois and Connor. He hasn't really done anything with this recent run of time uh, in the big club and in the top six. He only has one goal in six games. Uh, but Brian, I guess right now we have Lekkonen at the top. Is Perfetti going to bump Lekkonen from the top? of our deep league best ads or are we sticking with top line Lekkonen who's on a three game point streak I'm sticking with top line Lekkonen on three game point streaks I mean Perfetti is this Rossi Boldy type ad where it could go either way right he could really shine and find some chemistry in the NHL or maybe he's just not ready yet so I would rather our three Lekkonen I might even prefer uh, Travis Boyd because he probably has a better floor than Perfetti but of course Perfetti has that unknown upside that he could do really well so you know if you want to take a swing go Perfetti if you want someone a little more assured go Boyd but I think it'd be a lot more fun to take the swing because Boyd is not a very exciting roster unless you're in a deep league. Oh, I disagree. I'd go Boyd, like for sure. Or I guess I agree, but I'd say like, it's not even for me like an upside thing. Like I think, eh, whatever. Until Perfetti probably one day will be much, much better than Travis Boyd. But for this year, give me the guy producing with Clayton Keller. Yeah, assuming no one, assuming neither one is going to be on your roster, you know, past two or three games, then I would go Perfetti. Like I, yeah. I'd like Perfetti short term just to see if he can do anything in one or two games. But if I'm, yeah, if I'm really, you know, trying to make the most of this roster spot and not being frivolous. Boyd, Boyd is safer. This is what I said. Boyd is safer. There you go. Yeah. Perf- and Perfetti is unlikely to pan out. And hey, like, Travis Boyd has never gotten top-line deployment, the top power play, so maybe there is more there than meets the eye. We'll have to see a little more from him. But okay, we've already talked about him, I, but we are on Winnipeg, so we do need to stop down on this Neil Pionk guy, who I believe we've talked about recently, but after another pointless game today, our dude is now sitting at only one assist in his last 11 games. Like, hey, if you have him in a Bankers League, great, he had nine hits today, but if hits aren't counted, he's doing nothing for you. Brian, how much longer of a leash should managers have for Neil Pionk at this point? Like, Or, I guess on the other side, I could ask who's now the perfect perfect time to pounce if you need d and you want to try to get a high upside guy for cheap maybe he's been dropped or maybe you could buy him like you know super cheap if you send someone like say someone needs a goalie you send like vanacek you know whatever like you try to make something work where you get pionk for not a high price but like this guy's doing nothing right now and if you had him let's just stick with that part of the question if you had him like how long of a leash would you be giving him is it like guaranteed you hold him rest of the year as long as he's on top power play even if he's cold or is there a point where you're just like i don't think this guy's gonna get going at any point I'm no, I'm not subscribing. I'm not giving up on Neil Pionk here. If you have him, I don't know what your options are. Like if you have a 45 point defenseman free agency and you're desperate and impatient, 
then go ahead. But I think that's impulsive. You know, I, I don't know many leagues where you can find anybody like Pionk on the waiver wire. I think today he threw nine hits. So if your league counts that, even while the points aren't coming, at least he threw nine hits today. At least he seems angry. And I really don't think, as I said the last time we talked about him, I don't remember if it was two weeks ago, I think, but I, I don't see anything deeply wrong with Neil Pionk. So I'm sticking with my diagnosis of this is just an extended run of bad luck for Pionk and is a haver of him in the cupful. So keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, kkupfl.com for more info. I, uh, I just have to hope and pray and wait for the hockey guides to smile on Neil Pionk again soon. Okay, well, you said that maybe if there's a 45-ish point defenseman available in free agency, well, we're going to get to one in just a second. I could ask you to compare them. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. So we'll be back with you soon for the rest of our show. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. This episode of Keeping Carlson is brought to you in part by a new sponsor for the podcast, and those are the people at HelloFresh. I'm going to be honest, when the people at Blue Wire told Brian and I that we'd be doing an ad for HelloFresh, I was pretty excited because I've been using HelloFresh actually since the start of the pandemic, and I think it's a really great service, and I'm excited to tell you all about it. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You skip trips to the grocery store, you count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable, and that's why it's America's Number one meal kit. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm-fresh produce that arrives within a week, so you get convenience without skipping on quality. The new year is a great time to focus on what's important to you, whether it's saving money by ordering less takeout, learning to cook, or prioritizing your wellness. HelloFresh is here to help with endless options to make cooking at home simple and enjoyable. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including veggie, calorie smart, family-friendly, gourmet options, providing plenty of variety. You get recipes like hibachi, sweet, soy, bavette, steak, and sugar. I don't even know what this is, but it sounds good. Bring restaurant-quality meals right to your kitchen, uh, while their white cheddar Wonder Burgers make it easier than ever to skip the takeout. Before I started getting boxes from HelloFresh, I never knew how to cook. And to be honest, I don't know if I do now, but I do know that it's really easy to make these meals when they come from HelloFresh. And I'll be honest, like after a long day of work, I kind of like the opportunity to zone out and just kind of follow the recipe, listen to podcasts. You don't really have to think. You just have to follow the instructions. And it always turns out really well. My wife is always really impressed. So it's it's an exciting part of the day every time we get to make one of these cool meals. And if you want to try it out, we've got a really great option offer for you right now because if you go to hellofresh.com slash carlson16 and use code carlson16 again that's eric carlson and the number 16 you'll get up to 16 free meals and three free gifts so once again that's hellofresh.com slash carlson16 use code carlson16 for up to 16 free meals from america's number one meal kit Okay, we are back, Brian. And yeah, so you said that Neil Pionk is someone that you probably want to hold. He's just on an extended cold streak. Maybe if there was someone available. And I know in some shallow leagues, Jared Spurgeon might be available, right? Because he's been having a pretty cold season and he was injured. But he made his return to the wild after missing over a month on Saturday versus Chicago. And he definitely did not disappoint anyone who held on as he got back on the top power play and picked up two power play assists from his unit with Caprizov, Zuccarello, Boldy, and fellow 
outjured player Joel Erickson Eck, who we'll get to in just a sec. Uh, but first, Spurgeon, he's been a bust for anyone who drafted him. Only eight points in 19 games before he actually had a couple big games in mid-December before going down with his lower body injury. But now he's back. He's in a great spot. He's running hot. Seems to me like an obvious ad. If you're one of the 54% of Yahoo leagues where he's available, I feel like I'd want to grab him. I don't know if I'd drop Neil Pionk for him. I'd probably just rather have both. But uh, what's your thoughts on Spurgeon, who has been a bust? But I just feel like how can you not be getting points like he did on Saturday when you're playing with Kaprizov on the top power play and getting a ton of even strength time? It's really rare that you can find a top power play defenseman in free agency. And when you can, like even Damon Severson, who we've talked about recently since the Hamilton injury, I think you just go out and get him. Yes, Jared Spurgeon has disappointed consistently and often over the last couple years. But if you're looking for defensemen, there's no harm in taking a chance and seeing if Spurgeon is going to pay off this time around, especially because Kirill Kaprizov keeps getting better and better, and he gets to play with them both on the power play and at five on five. Would I trade off Pyong for Spurgeon? No, I wouldn't because I like what Pyong does. I like Pyong's floor. At least he's going to do get you a bunch of peripherals, which Spurgeon does not. And Pyong's production, like I've said, should still return to where it has been previously to what we can expect from him. But Spurgeon as another option to add to your roster that already has Pyong would be not a bad idea at all. I have already looked at a couple leagues that I'm in for Spurgeon. He was gone in all of them, but I did go look and you should too okay yeah and then as far as the forwards go let's take a look at the latest lines with joel erickson back in the lineup jee did not get his spot back centering caprizov and zuccarello ryan hartman has held that spot we keep getting questions every once in a while of people asking like is now the time to sell ryan hartman i feel like no just like, I don't want to dig into it too much. It's just like, don't sell him. Like, he's on the top line with Caprizov. He's having this amazing year. To me, like, ride it out. Like, I mean, fine, if you could get, like, John Tavares or something crazy for him. But, you know, like, uh, it's just such a great spot. And the fact that Joel Eriksson didn't bump him just makes me more into Ryan Hartman. I wish I had him. I don't have him in any leagues. So then Eriksson was centering a line with Felino and Jordan Greenway. Uh, Kevin Fiala uh, and Matthew Boldy have stayed on their line with Goudreau. So that, that's, first of all, a pretty sweet-looking top nine over in Minnesota. This is a pretty stacked team when they're all healthy. And uh, Joel Eric's neck managers may be a little disappointed that he didn't come back to center the Caprizov-Zuccarello line, but still he had a big game versus Chicago on Saturday. He scored a power play goal from that top power play, which is still a great spot to be. And he also took seven shots overall through four hits. Brian, at this point, X sits at 21 points in 32 games on the season for a 54-point pace. Where do you see like his value? What's your general take on JEE at the moment? Like, are his current paces basically what you're expecting to see the rest of the way? Because like honestly, I can see you going either way. I can see you saying like, yeah, this 54 point pace. That's what I expect to continue. I could see you saying, no, man, this guy's on the top power play. He's probably more like a 60-point guy. He's probably a good buy low at this point. Or I could see you going the other way and going, no, now that he's not centering Kaprizov anymore, he's probably going to go back to like the 40, mid-40s point pace that he was last year. So I'm very interested to hear what's your current take on Joel Erickson Eck now that he's back from injury and not centering the top line, but playing with Felino and Greenway, but still on power play one. All of those outcomes you just mentioned, Elon, are in the realm of possibility, which is why you mentioned them. But I think the most unlikely one is that he's a 60 plus point player the rest of the way. And here's why. Joel Erickson Egg has only played about five, seven games with Kaprizov all season. So, you know, it's not a big surprise that Erickson Egg doesn't land back on the top line with Kaprizov because he wasn't really there. In fact, X deployment is more or less unchanged compared to before his injury. Obviously, it shows up 
up in Erickson X numbers that he's less likely to be on the ice for goals at five on five this year, too, uh, because he's not playing with Kirill Kaprizov. So compared to that, you can see the drop playing with Felino and Greenway. Um, to Erickson X credit, regardless of who's around him, he is shooting more this season. But unfortunately, it seems that those extra shots are coming from less dangerous areas. And I really don't see much reason to expect Eck to jump up to the top line if the top line is clicking and he's barely been there all season. Remember to start the year when Eric Snek was on the top line? That top line was not clicking. Everyone was like, what's going on? Why isn't anything working in Minnesota so far? So Eric Snek's current pace around 54 points, it seems fair. If anything, I'd take the under because I'm actually not even sure that Erickson X top power play production, like he might stay there, but he is scoring on 30% of his shots while taking his spot on the top power play unit. He has seven power play points. They're all goals. He's taken 22 shots on the power play and great shot locations for Erickson Eck. But it's kind of like Chris Kreider, who we talked about last week, where in the NHL, it's hard to score on 32% of your shots, regardless of where you're doing the shooting from. You're playing against an NHL goalie and an NHL defense, so it's unlikely that Eck can keep producing power play points at that clip. Maybe offsets those a loss of those goals with some assists, I'm not sure, but that's why I see Erickson Eck being in that 50 to 55 point range, so 54 point pace. If you ask me now, I'll take the under, but of course there's more value than just points for er- from Erickson Eck too, because he throws a couple hits a night, takes three shots a game, occasionally puts up a block, which is nice to see from a forward. So he's a nice, steady, decent floor guy who plays on a top power play. So that's nice to have, but I don't think we're going to see a huge 60-plus breakout season coming from him, assuming his deployment doesn't change, and I don't see any reason why it would. Okay, yeah, that's a great analysis, and I think I have got to agree with you. It sounds like what he's doing so far is what we can expect moving forward. I know you, deep down, just wish and think like how it's such an atrocity that Kevin Fiala is not on that top power play. If he does get on there, you got to imagine he takes Boldy's spot, not Eriksson Ek, who's more of like a net front guy. Uh, let's go to another injury here, another top power play guy in Tyson Berry, who missed Saturday's game for the Oilers versus Calgary, apparently nursing a couple of injuries. I don't want to be mean here, but I wonder if Barry being out of the lineup wasn't the worst worst thing for the Oilers. They finally got onto the win column with a 5-3 win over the Flames, ending a seven-game losing skid. And of course, the big beneficiary of Barry being out was Evan Bouchard, who jumped onto the top pairing and the top power play, and he scored two early power play goals to help power the Oilers to that big win. Uh, obviously, Drysaddle's two goals and two assists also helped power them to that win. But, you know, I feel like Barry's main value to the team is quarterbacking the top power play. It seemed like Evan Bouchard did just fine taking that job. In fact, in an interview with Coach Tippett after the game, he answered a question basically saying Bouchard made a case for himself to continue to get top power play time. So Tyson Barry's injuries might end up costing him the job. Obviously, I don't want to say the sky is falling completely. Like, we'll have to see what happens. It's only one game. Uh, But Bouchard is someone who was really exciting at the start of the year. Then he went on a huge slump. And now he's only 38% rostered on Yahoo. And that makes sense. He was like pointless in six games with some sub 20 minute time on ice games. Like for a while, he was top pairing. He was dropped to the third pairing for a while but anyways i feel like if, if bouchard is still available in your league and if barry's injured or potentially even barry coming back won't bump bouchard from the top power play this has got to be and i try to reserve this only for like once a show at max but like this has got to be a pause the pod moment right where you've got to go grab evan bouchard if he's available just for the off chance that he's able to hold this top power play spot rest of the year Definitely a pause the pod moment for Evan Bouchard. I was reassuring you, Elon, just last week, 
if you remember that Evan Bouchard was still worth rostering as a kind of Sergachev type, but with better peripherals. So someone who can get about 45 points, but contribute more in other categories than Mikhail Sergachev has historically. And now, gee, yeah, we've got power play one Bouchard, and that would be incredible if it helped. And I don't feel like this is a situation where the coaching staff feels like they owe Barry any kind of extended opportunity uh, if they find someone they like better, like Bouchard. Like every time in St. Louis, when Krug loses top power play uh, deployment, it's usually short-lived. And when it happens, I'm like, yeah, Krug is going to be back. Here, I don't know that I feel as confident that Tyson Barry is going to be back. Tyson Barry, he's pacing for 21 power play points, which isn't bad, but It does look worse, well, a lot worse than last year when Tyson Berry paced for 34 power play points. And we've talked about the reasons at length on the show why we didn't feel Barry was in a position this season to get all the way back up to 34 power play points. So the follow-up here is that if you have Bouchard, great. If you don't have him, I hope you have him now if he was available because you already paused the pod to go add him. And then if you have Tyson Barry see what happens, I guess. Like, he could become a snoozer. He's on snoozer watch, because if Barry doesn't get back to the top power play one spot, I think he and Evan Bouchard have just kind of traded places, relevance-wise, right? You've got Barry without the top power play, still gets to play with a high-octane offense, but might only get 40 or 45 points and a couple shots on net, and that's all you can expect from him, which would be a bummer. Uh, From Evan Bouchard, that was good. From Tyson Barry, that's bad. So uh, keep an eye out if you have Barry on your roster. He's uh, he's in trouble. He's on the ropes here. Yeah, at least I guess you can be happy if you can stash him in IR for now. So you're almost like not disappointed because he was actually already like on, on a cold streak, right? He was pointless in seven games going into this game where he got injured. So people who were like considering dropping him, we had some questions people asking us if they should drop him. And I remember I was answering like, well, no, I know he's cold, but you can't drop the top power play guy on Edmonton. Like Edmonton was having some struggles themselves. So like when McDavid and Dreisaitl aren't putting up a ton of points, obviously Tyson Barry's not going to be putting up a ton of points. So I was saying to hold. Uh, so to those people now, hopefully you can just stash him, wait and see what happens. Like I wouldn't drop him yet. I'd like to wait and see what happens when he comes back and if he gets that top power play spot back. Uh, but like Brian said, if he comes back and he's not on the top power play, I really have no interest in this guy except for the fact that maybe he gets back on it at some point so maybe he becomes like some guy that you're able to add at a free agency kind of like a Blake Wheeler earlier in the year you know where he was like not doing so well and people got him and then now he's like crushing it so Barry potentially has that upside just from, from what we saw last year but right now it's not looking great uh by the way I don't know like I feel like it used to be that we always wanted to report on the Oilers lines and who's playing with McDavid because it was so viable but lately just hasn't seemed it's been so long since like one of these random players is playing with McDavid does something but people are curious versus Calgary it's a whole new setup here it's like McDavid has been playing with Yamamoto and a guy named Ryan McLeod and then Dreisaitl's been playing with Puliarvi and Warren Fogle and then the top power play remember Ryan Nugent Hopkins is injured so the top power play has been Dreisaitl, McDavid, Puliarvi, Yamamoto and like we said Evan Bouchard in this last game Yamamoto and Puliyarvi pointless on the five Oilers goals on Saturday. Both of Bouchard's power play goals were assisted by Dreisaitl and McDavid. Uh, Fogel and McLeod are in good spots, not doing anything either. I don't know. They'll probably likely get shaken up soon. So, uh, you know, on one hand, I just want to say, like, forget about it. Like, all these guys, no, no one's really exciting to me. On the other hand, I feel like, how can I not recommend, even though he's on a cold streak right now? I mean, if uh, Kyler Yamamoto especially is playing with McDavid on the top line and the top power play, come on. You probably want to stream him in. So usually we, we're recommending streaming in players like who are actually doing stuff. But at this point, I'd say if, if this sticks, you probably want Yamamoto, right, Brian? 
Yes, but with the same caveat that no one in Edmonton has been consistently worth holding over the last while, including Yessi Pugliarvi, sadly, who looked like he had broken that mold earlier in the year. So yes, we have to recommend Kyler Yamamoto, but we make zero guarantees that he's going to do anything because he's been in great spots already this year and still done absolutely nothing with it. It's crazy how little production ever comes from these Edmonton guys getting great opportunities, either playing up with McDavid or on the top power play. I I find I chase them less these days than I used to. But hey, you mentioned some good schedules for the Oilers coming up. So it's, of course, always good to keep watching the Edmonton lines if your league is deep enough to stream these guys in. But it's starting to remind me, Elon, of all the times that we've looked for the third wheel with Crosby before it was a, you know, permanently rusty. In Gensel, and we talked about uh, Dominic Simone is the name that always pops up. There are lots of players. Oh, this guy's playing with Crosby now. This guy's playing with Crosby now. And every time you'd add them, it was a total crapshoot if they did anything. And it's the same thing in Edmonton. And it actually feels more likely than not that the guy you add for good deployment in Edmonton is going to do nothing with it. But if you're in a deep enough league where that's a chance worth taking, Kyler Yamamoto, go for it. Yeah. I mean, I'm Puliarvi playing with Drysdale because it's not only like the Dominic Simone was never on the top power play in Pittsburgh. These are guys not because yeah. Edmonton's so like shallow. Like, unfortunately, these guys are also on the top power play, so you've got to expect something will happen. But yeah, surprising that it hasn't. Well, Edmonton's been cold. Maybe like this win against Calgary is going to be the start of a, a big, exciting run. Uh, okay, so we're still in the injuries and outdoors section here. So let's do an outdoor in St. Louis where Braden Shen. Uh, he's had a bit of a bumpy season, right? He's missed time with a lower body injury. Then he went on the COVID protocol. Overall, he's been pretty streaky. He's had some hot runs, but also had a seven-game scoreless drought in December. But Shen recently returned from the COVID protocol this week and has definitely jumped back to being the guy that we used to know and love when he first came to St. Louis. He exploded versus Nashville on Monday, had two goals and two assists. He followed that up with a goal versus Seattle on Friday. Uh, St. Louis is playing Vancouver tonight on Sunday uh, after we'll be done recording the show. So people listening could go and check what Shen did. Uh, since his return, he's been skating on the top line with Ryan O'Reilly and Perron. He's been playing on the top power play. So really, like, I can't see anything not to like about Shen at this point. Uh, his recent two games have brought him to 17 points in 24 games on the season. That's a 58-point pace. Last season, he slumped big time at the end. He ended up with only a 53-point pace on the year, well down from his 70, 62, and 67 paces in his first three seasons with the Blues. So, Brian, which version of Braden Shen that we've been seeing over this last season and a half do you think is the real one? Like, Do you think he can get back to being the 65-ish point guy that he was when he first came to the team? Or or do you expect him to fall off another cliff sooner or later, just like he did last year and earlier this year even? I'm really sorry for what I'm about to do to your very good question about Braden Chen, but I think all I can do here is shrug my shoulders about Braden Chen. I, you know, I just don't know what to think. And I'll, I'll start this by saying I could see Braden Chen getting moved to another line any day. Of course, I like him with O'Reilly and David Perron. Uh, that's a really fantastic line to play on. If Arturi Lekkinen was playing on that line, we'd say go get Arturi Lekkinen. So I'm going to say go get Braden Shen because he's at the least the third piece on that line. Uh, but Braden Shen, if he's not on that line, I don't know what to expect from him. He's, he's good when he has the opportunity. He's not great when he doesn't. And I'm trying to find any pattern in his numbers that explains the ups and downs that you detailed in his recent career. Like, Shen has deviated between 53 and 70 points over the last several seasons, and I can't actually crack the code here for Braden Shen. Like, he's doing some version of what he's always done, 
which yeah, could mean that Bradenton is either a 53-point or a 70-point player. It's kind of bizarre and kind of confounding. Usually I can see more, and if anybody else can see more and would like to point me to it, please tell me. Uh, but if I'm trying to project Braden Chen the rest of the season, which is what I'm here to do, I'm going to lean uh, 60 points, give or take five points. And I know that's not terribly helpful. And I'm sorry. Remember, I'm just shrugging my shoulders here about Braden Chen. Uh, I think I'm just going to try and ignore everything we know about him and say that Braden Chen has recently been good and he's on the top line and top power play. So I think just get him. And then let's revisit if Shen begins slumping. Again, my takeaway so far on Shen this year overall is that if he does get bad deployment or goes cold, he's not a must hold while you wait for him to get through it. But while he is getting good deployment and like hopefully he's on a run at the same time, yeah, then you go out and get him. And that's not that's not groundbreaking advice or anything, but I would just keep watching those St. Louis lines because they changed not long ago and they could change again not far from now. And I would be worried that Braden Shen is out of the mix at that point. Yeah, Brian, I got Braden Shen out of free agency in our league, the Bubupful, the Best Buds Ultimate what does it stand for? Ultimate Patron Fantasy League? I don't know. But anyway, uh, I grabbed him out of free agency. I think I lost the week because of it. <laughs> like, I dropped because he played on Monday. He got that two goal, two assists. I was like, I got to get this guy. I, I I can't wait. And then he didn't play again until Friday. And in the meantime, it pretty much fell out of my matchup uh, against Dave Benton. So that was a bummer. But on the plus side, I have Braden Chen. I hope he's going to be good for me moving forward. Uh, so since we're still here in St. Louis, we've got, uh, of course, got to discuss the goalie situation, right? Because Jordan Bennington has been trash. Uh, he only has two quality starts in his last eight games his last game versus the Leafs was pretty brutal he led in six goals on 34 shots in the six to five loss it's always a bummer for a team when you score six goals and your goalie or I guess five goals and your goalie can't help you get the win uh, meanwhile Vili Husso has been great two straight wins including a 27 save shutout over Seattle on Friday Husso is in line to play Vancouver tonight so people listening can see how he did uh, but going into today he sits at a 938 save percentage in the 11 games he's played on the season versus Binnington's 906 which has been falling. Uh, so, Brian, the Blues play today, and then again tomorrow. So, I imagine Bennington will play on Monday. Do you think we're getting to a point where if you've got Bennington, like you kind of need to grab Huso if he's out there? Like, or like, do you think that, yes. like, is this a 50 50? Yeah, it's <laughs> yes. basically like you got to grab Huso, right? This is, this is yeah. potentially, do you think it's it, like Huso's going to take over completely? I, it's possible at this point, and you've got to hedge. If you, if you have Bennington and you have him for volume and you don't have a great backup plan, like if you're, if you're, if he's your only goalie that you think you can rely on or whatever your situation is in your league, if you need someone to start and Bennington's not doing it right now, yeah. I think you need to hedge with who. So uh, my line on St. Louis through the season has been that St. Louis probably wants Bennington to be the guy. But at this point, you can't ignore the mounting evidence from the performances that you described, Elon, from Bennington and Huso. I imagine is going to be nudging St. Louis. It already is towards at least a more even split in goal between the two. It's a situation to monitor, especially if you are looking for a goalie and who's out there, regardless of whether you have Bennington, uh, you know, if someone like Cal Peterson is rostered in your league, then Ville Husso should also be rostered at this point. And uh, it might also just be a good trade ship for the, whoever has Biddington at the very least uh, to scare, like, you know, you should be scared Biddington havers. So make sure uh, if you have Biddington and you rely on volume that you start looking around for another plan. If there's no other starters available, add Huso uh, to try and cuff 
the blues until this sorts itself out. But my worry would be that it doesn't sort itself out and that Husso and Biddington keep sharing a lot of the starts the rest of the way. But if one is going to pull away with a job right now based on performance, it would be Husso. Wow, yeah. So this is interesting. And Binnington's done this to other goalies in the past. He did it to Jake Allen. So now maybe it's Huso that's going to do it to Binnington and take the job. So this will be a pretty big month to see what happens in this St. Louis net. Uh, I have Binnington, Brian, in that same league where I grabbed Braden Shen. And uh, not as happy of a situation right now. I actually had the opportunity to grab Huso and I instead grabbed, grabbed Philip Grubauer. Uh, since, I don't know, I figure he'll get more starts than Huso, but he's, he hasn't been that great. Though he's actually been good in his last couple of games. Maybe, maybe I'm doing too much uh, league time. I remember when we first started the podcast and then we used to post the episodes on Reddit and ask for feedback. And people would be like, hey, stop talking about your leagues. No one cares. So what am I doing? Elon, let's go. Let's move on to the next injury, which is our guy, Eric Carlson, currently dealing with an upper body injury that caused him to miss Saturday's loss to the Lightning. It's apparently a different upper body injury than the one that he dealt with a couple of weeks ago. So I guess that's good news i don't know like we we don't really have a timeline yet uh this is obviously a bummer because eric carlson is having this resurgent season that continues to be derailed with these injuries uh i don't think there's too much fantasy impact here maybe you'll disagree like brent burns i guess he gets more power play time maybe gets more ice time like uh he's currently slumping he only has one assist in five games but like burns has already been seeing more than 50 percent of the power play time over these last few games so i can't see that being a big factor maybe it's like the kind of situation you know on pittsburgh whenever crosby's injured malkin always goes nuts so maybe like Burns can do that. I believe last time Carlson was injured, Burns went on a really good run. Uh, so I don't know. That's the only fancy impact I could think of there. Uh, the real question I have for you over in San Jose is I want to know what's going on with Logan Couture because while Hurdle and Meyer just exploded earlier this week and Ben and Lewis obviously talked about that five goal games on short shifts, uh, Couture has gone absolutely cold, only one assist in his last five games. And this is like eerily similar to what happened last year, right? Couture started this year with 30 points in his first 33 games and now he's just randomly on this cold streak. And last year, he started with 22 points in his first 25 games and then totally disappeared, only nine points in his final 28 games. So, Brian, should we be worried that a repeat of 2020-21 is upon us and Couture will once again disappear from fantasy relevance? Or, you know, just an unlucky run, and we should expect him to get back on track as soon as next Wednesday when the Sharks look to bounce back versus Washington. So last year was a bit of a different situation when Couture went cold, because last year Couture's cold streak was accompanied by his shots on goal disappearing, which we hypothesized was due to injury. And I can't, I feel like it turned out we were right in the end, but that hasn't happened this time. Couture has kept shooting, but the problem is that he stopped scoring goals. Elon, you mentioned that Couture has just one assist in his last five games. I'm going back further. Couture has just one assist in his last 11 games, but you didn't mention that because he had five goals over the last 11 games that not well has dried up over the last five specifically. But just to zoom back out, because I've said a lot of numbers, uh, Couture has scored a lot of goals recently. The goal scoring has gone cold, but he hasn't gotten many assists lately. And if Couture is not scoring, well, this shows that nobody else is. And the difference this year from past seasons is that Couture doesn't have Evander Kane on his wing the way he has in the last couple of years, or even Timo Meyer, as he did earlier in the year. Now, Logan Couture is playing with Jonathan Dahlin and Noah Gregor with some Matthew Nieto mixed in. And with that context, it's not so surprising that if Logan Couture isn't scoring, nobody else is with him. There's nobody to assist on if Couture isn't scoring himself. 
It's impressive that Couture built up his usual 65 or 70 point pace. He got there uh, mostly in his time playing with Timo Meyer and also with three short handed points, which are unlikely to keep coming as they have. And if Logan Couture doesn't get Timo Meyer back, then I think we do decrease expectations for him the rest of the season to be closer to 60 points. There's only so much that Logan Couture can do without a top six winger to work with. So if you are bearish, on the possibility that Logan Couture gets another top six winger to work with, then now might be a time to sell him before that pace really does fall and start showing. Because once again, if Logan Couture is not scoring, there are not a lot of opportunities for him to assist, unfortunately. Hmm. Okay, so this is what we need to cheer for. We need to cheer for the Sharks to go on a big losing skid, fall out of the playoff picture. Then they move Tomas Hurdle at the trade deadline because he's a UFA at the end of the year and he's going to want to go to a contender. And then uh, Meyer plays with Couture again, and everything will be good for Couture. But right now you're saying that's uh, it's obviously not likely, and right now his line mates aren't good enough to help him produce, which is a bummer, because I, I have Couture in one of my leagues, and I'm pretty disappointed with what we've been seeing. Uh, okay, so the next injury I want to go to is in Philly. They've been hit hard with the injury, but Couturier, Ellis, Brassard, they're still out with no timelines as far as I've seen. And now add to this Joel Farabee and Kevin Hayes. Uh, the, both of those guys are joining the other three on the shelf for up to four weeks, apparently. This has led to Philly basically basically being a two-line team with James Van Riemsdyk jumping up to the top line recently in place of Farabee to play with Giroud and Atkinson, as well as on the top power play with those guys and Konechny and Provorov. Uh, this is kind of like a Yamamoto situation, right? Like, it seems like JVR is in a really good spot now, but he hasn't been doing anything. He only has one goal in his last six games. But at the same time, I feel like if you're streaming in a player, you could do a lot worse than streaming in a guy who plays, by the way, Monday, Tuesday next week. Philly plays Monday, Tuesday. So if you're looking for an early week ad... I feel like you should go JVR while he's on the top line, top power play, and then reassess because uh, Philly doesn't play again until Saturday. What do you think about JVR, by the way, in general? Like, even before these injuries, he's been a total bust this year, right? Only 16 points in 41 games. That's a 32-point pace. He's pacing for what will be a career-low season for him if he doesn't turn it around. He's 32 years old. You just called Blake Wheeler ancient at 35. So I don't know, like, what you will call JVR, who's a little bit younger at 32. But do you think it's, like, just his age is kind Catching up to him and he's just finally on this decline that you expect all players to have at some point or has he just kind of had some bad luck and maybe a run with Giroux and your I don't know nemesis or favorite player Cam Atkinson might help turn things around for JVR right now I don't know that it's bad luck and I don't know that it's age I mean there is definitely a bad luck component that I'm seeing here and that's coming via his own shooting percentage but now it's two years of bad luck for James Van Riemsdyk, who shot between 12 and 14% for four consecutive seasons before the last two, where he's shooting half that, about 7% over the last two years combined. His expected goals rates have dropped along with that shooting percentage, so it's not that surprising. But at the same time, it's frustrating. It feels like he should be doing more. Also, the last two seasons, James Van Riemsdyk's shot rates have also dropped and shot attempt rates. So there's a lot that's, you know, bad luck. But there's also a lot that seems to be Van Riemsdyk's own doing or not doing as well. Another reason Van Riemsdyk is struggling this year is that while he's on the ice, Philly is scoring on less than 5% of their shots, where in the past he's reasonably been able to rely on his team scoring on uh, twice as many shots as they have been so far this season. So there's reason to think that James Van Riemsdyk has been snake-bitten, that a 32-point pace is not reasonably reflecting what we can expect from Van Riemsdyk the rest of the way. 
but I would be cautious about going above 60 points the rest of the season, even though he pays for 63 last season, while a lot of these bad numbers were working against him at the same time. Uh, this season, I'm not sure he can get all the way up there unless he steps his game up considerably, which so far he hasn't. So I, I think he's a great ad because he, he, to me, he's the kind of guy who's who makes a good stream, right? He plays Monday, Tuesday, put him in your lineup, no harm, no foul if he doesn't work out. My opponent for the cupful next week has added him already for Monday, Tuesday. So you can probably expect some massive performances from James <laughs> and Reemsdyke in those games. Uh, but beyond that, he's not like a must-hold, but he's definitely worth a stream for Monday, Tuesday. And I think things should get better for him. Not so much better, but better for James Van Reemsdyke than they have been so far. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Uh, it's a good spot, good schedule, at least for two days. So give him a try. We'll see what happens. Uh, hopefully he doesn't do too, too well, because Brian could use a W in the Kakuffel for next week. Uh, okay, so uh, some other... This is breaking news. I added this after I already prepped the show, but I saw that Kevin Lankinen has a hand injury and is on the IR. I thought maybe, like, Lankinen could get some more games. Like, Fleury had just been going, like, every game for a long while. But then Lankinen got in to play on Friday when Fleury got pulled against Minnesota. And then Lankinen then got the game on Saturday, and he was pretty good. He stopped 40 of 44. One of those goals was an overtime. You know, I don't like to count those overtime goals against the goalie. So he he had a good game on Saturday. Uh, But now, I guess he also hurt himself. He's going to be out for a little while, at least a week, because he's on the IR. So I guess we'll see how long that is. In the meantime, a guy named Arvid Soderblom will back up Marc-Andre Fleury, who I'd imagine will just get the bulk of the starts. Fleury has been great lately. Aside from that game where he got pulled, he had a run of five straight quality starts. So uh, I know this isn't the type of show where we talk too much about rumors. I know before we were talking about Chikrin and whether he'll get traded. Seems like, obviously, Fleury should get traded, right? Like, he's on a one-year contract. Chicago's not a contender. There's some teams out there that need goalies. I'm really curious. I, I, it's not even like a fantasy question. I'm just like, I don't know. I, you and I should just have a chat sometime about like where Mark Andre Fleury will land. I feel like the Oilers, that'd be a pretty sweet spot. Like uh, the Oilers could use a goalie right now. Uh, I'm curious to see what's going to happen with this guy. Yeah, the Oilers seem often like an obvious destination for someone, especially a goalie, but it doesn't always work out that way, does it? I, I would love to see him. He seems to want to be moved. I would love to see that happen. I don't know if that would help. Flurry's numbers or hurt them. Of course, it depends on the team he goes to. I can't remember if this was on a show or a patron cast, but I've also seen uh, that we talked about this, but I've also seen Pittsburgh as another rumored destination for him, which would make sense, get the band back together, and uh, he can be the insurance policy or the insured property. What, uh, what's, <laughs> what's, I don't know. what's I don't the know parry what in that? Well, I'm trying to say for Tristan Jari, if Jari <laughs> doesn't work out or is starting to flame out and he is struggling a bit lately, Flurry's there, or maybe Flurry is the guy in Jari's, the insurance policy. In any case, uh, there are numerous scenarios for Flurry where he can move to a team where he's the workhorse or move to a team where he's sharing the workload. Um, I think his value is pretty good where it is in Chicago. So what do we, what's the question? Elon is just what, what to do about Marc-Andre Fleury now that Kevin Lankinen no. is injured or is it less likely he's going to be moved because Lankinen is injured? I didn't really ask a question. I just wanted to have okay. a fireside chat about Marc-Andre Fleury. <laughs> I think you've done a great job. So we can move on now to, uh, I've got some like upcoming outjuries. So we obviously don't need to dig too much into them because they haven't even happened yet, but I'll just mention them so people listening can know. Maybe, maybe I'll just run through all three of them and then afterwards, 
Brian, you could comment on anything that you think is relevant. But so uh, in Vegas, apparently Max Pacioretty is Wolverine. Like he he just had this surgery, this wrist surgery. We thought he'd be out a lot longer, but he's uh, the latest that he's expected to travel with the team next week, potentially play during Vegas's four game road trip. So that's exciting. Uh, Mark Stone is currently on the COVID protocol, but it'll definitely be fun if they both return at the same time. Uh, hopefully Pacioretty is 100% can actually stick in the lineup for the rest of the season. They were really clicking before he got hurt. So obviously very exciting news for people with Max Pacioretty on their teams. Also, Alec Martinez, uh, the latest news on him is that he shed his no contact jersey during Thursday's morning skate. Uh, he didn't play against Montreal, but still he's expected to travel with the team and he also could play during Vegas's four game road trip next week. Um, Martinez is interesting to me. Like he had a very Jeff Petrie-ish start to his season as he had only three assists in 11 games after putting up a 50 point pace in the previous season. Uh, I remember discussing with you at the time and I pointed out that a bunch of those games where Martinez wasn't doing anything were games when Pacioretty and Stone were out of the lineup. So I almost feel like maybe they shouldn't count so much. But if Martinez, Pacioretty, Stone are all there, maybe Martinez can, you know, maybe not be like a 50 point guy, but back to being someone you want on your fantasy team, especially since he's usually really great for those blocks. So he's someone that's interesting to me, especially if you need defense and you're in, you know, a multi-category league. In Anaheim, Adam Henrique was back on the ice on Thursday after being sidelined since December 3rd with a lower body injury. If you recall, there was a time when we were talking every week on the show about the Ducks and how they just kept scoring goals, and and Adam Henrique was a big part of that. Uh, since then, a, a bunch of them have cooled off, right? Like Trevor Zegras, uh, Ryan Getzlaff are super cold right now. Troy Terry has been injured, but he might be coming back also. So, you know, so similar with Vegas. There's like a bunch of guys coming back, so I'd be curious to know if Anaheim, with everyone healthy again, could go back to being that high-scoring team that they were for the first couple months of the year and then finally ryan pulak was skating with the islanders before going on the covid protocol but now he's off the covid protocol so maybe he'll return soon and uh ryan you actually predicted that noah dobson uh would cool off a bit after that hot run and he did though it seems like it's not for a lack of attempts like dobson has 18 shots over his last three games just nothing is going in uh but yeah dobson has fallen back to a 36 point pace on the season which is obviously not very exciting and when he went on the hot run it was when pulak got injured so it makes you wonder if like Pulak coming back that can't be great for Dobson's production so uh, I don't know so Brian again that's those Vegas guys Henrik and Terry uh, Ryan Pulak is there anything that you're watching and waiting for uh, when all of these players return for uh, fantasy impacts I'm gonna take those in reverse order Elon like a like a college radio playlist you know when you come back from all the songs you play you start with the uh, the song that just played and then go okay. backwards <laughs> sounds good there's some inside community radio baseball for all the listeners out there shout out to the mighty 93.1 ckcufm broadcasting live from the campus of carleton university in Ottawa. what is happening this, though. okay <laughs> so have you um so ryan pulak and noah dobson so you i like that you tried to give me credit for noah dobson like I for predicting Noah Dobson would cool off and like yes I did but also a big part of that prediction was that Dobson uh, was going to cool off especially when Pulak got back which hasn't happened yet so I'm only going to take half credit but I also didn't see these Dobson shot games happening like you mentioned the cumulative total but seven shots five shots six shots for Dobson on the aisles right that's really impressive Imagine if Dobson was on another team. There's this offensive upside that, unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever get to see on the Islanders, which was the other half of my argument that Dobson can only be so good, even if he is given extra deployment and opportunity, which I think is going to get taken away from him 
with Pulak returning. I think Dobson got a lot of extra looks because Pulak was on the shelf and that Pulak's return is going to eat into that. So Dobson is still rosterable and those shot counts are exciting, but he's not a must hold for substantial offensive upside and expect his role to decrease when Pulak does make it back into the lineup. Then going into Anaheim, you mentioned Adam Henrique. I remember he was in on a lot of goals and more than I would have expected. And now with everyone cooled off, I'm not automatically expecting him to return to his pre-injury production, namely because no one on the Ducks is producing the way they were just as Adam Henrique got injured. I think it's reasonable if you want to make a speculative ad on Henrique, but it's also reasonable to wait. It just depends on your team's needs and your league's free agency depth. In the cupful, I'm not going to add Henrique right away. I'm not going to make that speculative ad. I'm going to wait till I see something. Elon, is this going to be a mistake? What do you think? Are you are you going for Henrique right away, or are you going to wait to see something? I mean, if he's lining up on the Zgrass line or on the Triteri line, I feel like he'll probably produce. Like, obviously, it depends how deep your league is, but I'd be interested in getting him, assuming he's going to get right back on a good top six line and on the top power play. Yes. And that's enough for you to just want him on your roster before you see. Yeah. So there you go. So I I think you can go ahead and make that ad. I like for me, and this is a mistake I make often though. So I'm being fully transparent here. uh, You might be wrong to wait on him and think you can get him later. Obviously depends on the depth of your league, but there you go. I think both routes are justified. Then Alex Martinez, last year he had that 50-point pace on the strength of a 13-power-play point pace from the second unit, which is not a way to sustainably produce. So maybe this year Martinez was already looking more like a 45-point guy for starters, but Elon, your theory of Martinez's 22-point pace currently being... uh, it's disappointing for sure, but being due to having missed a lot of time or his usual time with Pacioretty and Stone, you know, rather than Martinez just turning back into who he'd been for the few seasons prior, I think your theory does hold some water. In his 11 games this year, his on-ice shooting percentage is down 3% at 5-on-5, and his goals per 60 rates while he's on the ice, down a half a goal per 60 minutes, which I do think could both be products of missing Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty Although it's entirely possible that last year, both those numbers were higher than they should have been, which brought him to 50 points. So we'll see. There's a lot of possible outcomes here with Alec Martinez. I think I would once again set the over-under for him at 45 points, and I would take the under if uh, we're picking a rate for to go with the rest of the season. Uh, of course, bangers for Martinez help when he's not pointing. Elon, are you going to take the over 45 points for Martinez? Actually, no, I think that I would also take the under. Uh, I'm not, like, so super excited about it. Like, I like players that I could just depend on for some peripheral, so even if they don't get points, they still help me a little bit. And he showed last year that he does have some more offensive upside. Like, basically all these people who left L.A. then showed offensive upside. Like, I'm looking at, you know, Tyler Toffoli, even Tanner Pearson to some extent. Uh, so I like Alec Martinez, and I would definitely expect him to not be a free agent in all of my leagues once he's back for a couple of weeks. But... I agree with you that I'm not expecting an explosion like last year from like second power play. All right. So Brian, we're at the point of the show now where we're going to talk about some hot and cold streaks to finish things off. And we have to go to Dallas. Kevin asked in the chat, our couple coordinator, Kevin Hebert asked, are you guys going to talk about Tyler Sagan? I said, yes. So he's probably just been sitting there waiting patiently and it's time. We got to talk about this guy. Sagan went pointless for five straight games most recently, but then 
that led into this week where he had just a monster week. A goal, an assist, and nine shots versus Montreal on Tuesday. Two goals and an assist, and five shots versus Buffalo on Thursday. Then an assist versus Detroit on Friday. Uh, some of those games, he was getting better deployment because some of the top six was injured. But now, with everyone healthy, Sagan is back, lining up with Ben and Gurionov, at least in that last game versus Detroit. But he did stick on the top power play over Radulov, who had been the fourth forward on the top power play with Pavelski, uh, Robertson, and Hintz uh, previously. But now Sagan is been holding that spot. So Brian, do you think this recent run that Tyler Sagan is on is an indication that he's back? Superstar Tyler Sagan is back and everyone should be super mad if they dropped him and super excited if they added him? Or is this just like the most random of weeks where everyone's going to lose their minds over Tyler Sagan before he once again starts going pointless, not playing with uh, Robertson, Hintz, Pavelski type? I'll put it this way. In three nights, Tyler Sagan matched his offensive output from the previous 24 games and two more than two months combined. Two points and nine shots for Tyler Sagan in one particularly outstanding game. That came with nine and a half minutes of power play time, and he picked up a power play point with a man advantage. He had three points and five shots in another game that came with two power play points. I don't know, man. I'm not declaring Tyler Sagan back at all as much as I'd love to. You know no one has stumped for Tyler Sagan as much as I have over the last few years thinking he has more to give. He just hasn't been given the chance to give it. But I'm looking at Sagan. He's still with Ben and Gorianov at five on five. There's been little production from that trio for the last long while. Uh, If you have Sagan, good luck finding someone to buy a high on him. I don't think you will. If you... Like, if you're thinking of dropping him, I'd wait until he cools off, but I would fully expect to drop him unless his deployment or situation changes. I'd love for Tyler Sagan to be back. Maybe the Stars told Sagan that other team's scouts were in the building, because I think he wants out, too. Unfortunately, his contract makes that pretty difficult. Uh, I'll keep watching, Sagan. I'd love this to continue, but I'm not assuming it will. I will observe with hope, but not much faith. Okay, I think that's reasonable. We'll need to see at least another couple of weeks of production before we expect him to be fully back after him being so cold so much of the year. Uh, Okay, next on the hot streak list, let's go to a team that Dave talked about a lot in Stream Scheme this week, and he had two of these picks as his streamer picks, which maybe at this point would not count as streamers because their percent roster has probably gone above the threshold. But in Buffalo, the top line of Jeff Skinner, Alex Tuck, and Tage Thompson have been just on fire. They're on huge runs over this past week. Also, Tuck's fellow Eichel tradee Peyton Krebs joined those three on the top power play on Saturday versus Philly and he didn't do anything on the power play but he did score two goals at even strength from his bottom six role so a lot of excitement over in Buffalo recently and in fact speaking of the top power play we've been seeing some nice signs of life from Rasmus Dahlin who has six points in his last four games bringing him back to exactly matching his 56 point pace from 2019-20 so maybe he can finally build on what was his career best season Uh, so Brian are we going to take all this Buffalo scoring for real at this point like do you think the Skinner Tuck Thompson line these are all guys that it would be silly to like not roster them in any league like if you see them as a free agent you need to jump on it because this line is doing great and this team is scoring goals and then is, does Peyton Krebs join like Arturi Lekkonen as a potential really good deep league ad rest of the way while he's on the top power play and like maybe another way to ask this is how dumb was I to drop Jeff Skinner for William Carlson in the buffle before Saturday in anticipation of a Monday Tuesday slate for William Carlson to start next week Oh, how dumb was I to keep passing on Jeff Skinner? He sat in free agency on my watch list. And once I actually tried to add him 
and there was like a snafu, something wasn't quite right, or my team wasn't set up the way it was, or someone had played a game. Anyway, I let him just sit there in free agency because it just didn't feel like the right time aside from that one moment I did try. So I guess we're both dumb for not buying in, especially Elon. I sung his praises on past episodes, so I feel like I knew. And I told you, we both had the information we needed, and neither of us acted on it. What a bummer. Uh, But this Skinner, Tuck, Tage Thompson line, yeah, I'd jump on that. We were excited about Skinner, Asplund, and Tage Thompson, and Alex Tuck is an upgrade. He actually, I think, makes that line have the potential to be sustainably good. And sustainably good, that's a nice uh, thing to be saying about Buffalo right now. They were on a really rough run before playing Ottawa earlier this week. The Sabres had won just 6 of 30 games or or something like that after their strong and surprising start. So it's fun to have something positive happening there and right now, like that top line of Skinner, Tuck, and Thompson. Peyton Krebs, yeah, gets outside consideration as someone I'd prefer him, say, to Cole Perfetti. And probably to Travis Boyd, too, although you seem to love Boyd, so I'm not sure who you would take between Krebs and Boyd. And ya Boyd, Travis. <laughs> I'll go Boyd. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I just don't see Boyd as a... Yeah, we've talked about this already. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, good to see some nice things happening in Buffalo. Could all fall apart again soon. But in the meantime, I would be happy to uh, to have any piece of that top line in Buffalo, and then is a deeper cut uh, around the Luckin and Boyd types, Peyton Krebs, sure. Okay, and a trivia question for the listeners. Uh, can you name the player who's been playing in net for the Buffalo Sabres in two of their last three games? So versus Dallas, it was Aaron Dell. And for their other two games, versus Ottawa and Philly, which were both wins, so this goalie on Buffalo has won his last two games. Can you name this player? <laughs> I can, and I think everybody listening has had a, enough of a chance to think about it, but it's 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 Doogie. Michael Hauser has been in that. I just gave him that nickname. His his real hockey nickname is probably uh, Housie. Yeah, so uh, that's good for right. him. What a great Kukupful. If, if I added him in Kukupful, I would have uh, been doing better this week. Good job, Michael Hauser. Well, is he available for you to add next week? Probably. So would you? Like, I mean, if we're excited now about Buffalo scoring goals and and this goalie's (laughs) doing okay. Yeah. I I mean, I don't have much faith in him. It's probably like a Primo Montembeau situation where you can add the guy and then be worried. I mean, we've seen no goalie be able to hold up in Buffalo through the year. If anyone's wondering who Hauser is, he's 29 years old. He's been around, right? Like this guy's a veteran. He's played tons of time in the ECHL over the last decade, including this season. He was playing in Cincinnati, uh, had an 876 save percentage and a one in two record in three games in the AHL with Rochester this season. Hauser had a 900 in 11 games played. And of course, with two games with Buffalo, he has a 948 save percentage. So way to go, Michael Hauser. But I wouldn't treat his successful starts any differently than I would uh, a presumptive Aaron Dell successful start, which is like, great, good job, but I just still don't trust you. Yeah, that's definitely reasonable. By the way, we're so excited about Buffalo here. We should probably mention one cold streak. Uh, Victor Olofsson has not been getting in on any of this fun in Buffalo. He only has one assist in his last seven games. He's off the top power play. He's playing with Cousins and Asplund at even strength. We're definitely in snoozer's territory for Olofsson at this point, right? Like, There's no reason to hold him, I'd imagine. 
No, he is on my Kakupful roster. I've been trying to get rid of him for a week or two. Like, just drop him. I just haven't, he hasn't been at the bottom. That's how bad my team is. Enough about my team, though. Uh, Olofsson is snoozing, and so are you, if you're still expecting things from him. I at least know I'm not going to get anything from him while he's on my roster as I wait to replace him. Okay. Uh, speaking of snoozers, it appears that Tanner Jeannot was not able to keep the magic going from his third line and no power play deployment. He's finally gone cold, only two points in his last six games. He's still great for hits and pims, but I think at this point it's probably safe for people to let him go. Or, Brian, do you see another goal-scoring binge for the rookie on the horizon, uh, speaking of Tanner Jeannot? No, nothing immediately on the horizon. And Nashville has a pretty weak schedule coming up. So I don't think there's much reason to hold on. And by the way, I do just want to go back to Olofsson for one second. And uh, I'm just going to do a, a quick mini victory lap because Olofsson was so super hot at the start of the year. And our advice was sell high and the bottom did fall out. So congratulations to anyone who did. I tried, but uh, tier two Ottawa too smart to bite on that. But I hope <laughs> you, you, their listener, got someone to bite on Olsen while he was hot. Yeah, it's pretty hard when you host a podcast where you're saying how he's not going to keep it up and then you try to trade him. (laughs) I did the research, shared it, like that Olsen is not going to keep it up. He's a sell high and then tried to sell high yeah i feel like that's a bad order to do things yeah it makes it tricky Uh, okay so let's get back to some hot streaks now in tampa this is a tricky one right because tampa has probably one of the worst schedules coming up like we've discussed over these next few weeks uh two games uh then three games in that two-week matchup and then one game the following week which makes me wonder what to tell people to do with someone like a mikhail sergachev because he hadn't been doing much of anything for most of the season leading him to actually being dropped in kakupful tier one and i'll admit at the time that i uh, he was dropped. I really considered adding him. I was thinking maybe swapping him for Heronic. Uh, but then he got grabbed by Joe instead. And he's... I've been kicking myself, right? Because he's been really good. He has points in three straight, uh, including two assists versus the Sharks on Saturday. Now Sergachev sits at 22 points in 39 games overall on the That's a solid 46-point pace. But, like I said, with all of this week's schedule, like basically for the next month for Sergachev, if you had him, are you now thinking with the current run he's on that he's too good to drop? Or would you be okay? Like, if you're Joe and you have him in Kakupful Tier 1, are we recommending for Joe to drop him for me to potentially scratch my head and consider if I should add him again? or should he hold on at this point? I stared hard at Sergachev. He was dropped in my Kukufel Division 2. I didn't add him. Of course, he put up a a really great two-assist performance on Saturday night. But I think there's a reason Sergachev was in free agency, and I don't think he's a must-have. He's even shooting less than usual than we're used to, which is frustrating because Sergachev, as we talked about earlier in the show, 40, 45 points, not a lot of peripherals, but He does okay with shots, but now he's doing less than okay with shots, which I think is the reason that Sergeyev has wound up in a free agency in both our Kakupful divisions and probably in some of your pools too. I think he's a a good guy to have if you're in a week where Tampa plays a lot and you need to fill a D spot, but I don't think he's someone you need to rush out to go get. The reason to want Sergeyev is he plays with a really... A talented offensive team and gets in on points often enough, but he's not a must hold. 
Right. I guess the other big value with him is if ever Victor Hedman were to miss time, then Sergachev just gets like one of the sweetest spots that exists in fantasy. But obviously there's no indication that that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, also, by the way, shout out to Ross Colton. Four goals in his last four games from a spot in the bottom six on Tampa. So you could add him to the list of these like super deep league guys. So obviously I'm not going to recommend him with this bad Tampa schedule coming up. But uh, when Tampa does get back to playing a lot, uh, Ross Colton's reminding me a lot of like a Jeff Carter, or at least like a Jeff Carter upside type of guy, because he's playing in the bottom six, second power play, but still putting up points uh, decently often. Obviously, Carter's like been a little better over the whole season, uh, but Ross Colton, nothing to sneeze at. Okay, let's go to Carolina now, where the lines are always in flux. There's no point talking about the forwards generally in terms of like who's playing with who, especially recently. Uh, so Tara Vinen missed the last game. Martin Nachas went on the COVID protocol earlier in the week than came off the COVID protocol. Uh, but I just feel like everyone needs to just remember to check the Game Day Lines Twitter account or GameDayLineTweets.com to see who's playing with Aho. Like, you know, Nino Niederreiter wasn't playing with Aho for a while, went super cold, but then the last game he was there. Uh, also, Seth Jarvis is sometimes there. So wait to see what's going on. If Tara Vinen comes back, what the lines are, take a look at the forwards. I don't really have a question for you about the Carolina forwards. I do want to bring up, though, Tony D'Angelo, okay? I feel like we got to talk about this guy because no matter what the coaching staff is doing, with those forward lines. That's changing all the time. Rod Brindamore doesn't like sticking with a set top nine, but he has been sticking with Tony D'Angelo, quarterbacking the top power play, and D'Angelo has been on absolute fire lately. Eight points in his last four games, including two three-point games this past week versus the Rangers in Boston. TDA now sits at 32 points in 31 games on the season. That's an 85-point pace! Brian, I'll admit, I'm especially interested to hear your answer about TDA because I recently traded a first and a third for him in my Dynasty League from Greg's team that's rebuilding. And now I've got to know how real you think this guy is. Also, I assume, because I'm thinking like long term, not just this year, I'm hoping and praying that Carolina extends him rather than lets him go to free agency, right? Because it just feels like this is such a great fit. I'm even hoping maybe D'Angelo could be like, you know what, Carolina, you did such a great thing for me helping resurrect my career. So I'm going to even sign for a cheap contract to make this easy for you. That That's like my dream scenario. But yeah, in general, what do you think about Tony D'Angelo? For as long as he stays in Carolina, do you think he has, like, can he keep this up? Can he be like a 70 plus, maybe even 80 point defenseman? Because it's going so well so far. I think a lot of what we're seeing from Tony D'Angelo is for real. One reason you might not think it is, is because you look at D'Angelo's shooting percentage and you see he's shooting 12% at five on five, which is like unheard of for a defenseman. But it's actually okay because Tony D'Angelo in his career is like a 10% shooter. That's crazy for a defenseman. And he also doesn't like fit the archetype as someone who is a great shooter because we don't know him for his shots on goal, right? That's not something Tony D'Angelo has ever been great at doing. But when he does shoot, man, Tony D'Angelo makes it count. He's pacing for nearly 20 goals this season, which is amazing for a defenseman and is usually the sort of thing that's reserved only in recent years for by someone like Brent Burns. And Tony D'Angelo does not fit that profile, but he is pacing for similar goal scoring numbers. Uh, Tony D'Angelo, if I'm trying to find something to disbelieve in yeah his on a shooting percentage maybe high at five on five but that is not a big deal i so one thing that's really filling d'angelo's sales is um his power play production 13 power play points in 31 games which means d'angelo is on pace for a tyson barry like 34 power play points of course tyson barry last season not this season so what we're seeing from d'angelo is above average five on five production plus above average power play production there's a lot to like 
about what we're seeing from Tony D'Angelo. I don't know if I can expect point per game to continue, but I think this is a really good fit for him, and I could see 70 points going forward. I don't think I'm going to try and speculate on what happens in the future. Uh, we've seen Carolina be really cheap. Remember, they did chose not to retain Hamilton and took Tony D'Angelo in a bargain contract, which in hindsight, seems to have worked out very well for them. Of course, they spent the $6 million that they saved on Jesperi Kotkaniemi, which the jury's out on whether that was a good use of their budget. So well, I don't know. I never know what to expect from Carolina when it comes to signing players, but we've seen arrangements in the past with, uh, I'm thinking of Robin Lehner and the Islanders. That was a really good fit, and they kept that up for as long as they could, um, but eventually... They didn't, right? The Islanders said, so long, we can't afford you. So we'll see what happens between the two. I said, I'm not going to speculate about the future contract. And then I just went ahead and did it. Um, but that's as far as I'm going to get. D'Angelo has definitely earned his way back into the league. And uh, he's been a, he and Carolina fit well together. So it'd be nice to see them continue. I'm curious to see what happens in the offseason for now. I think a 70-point pace from the defenseman looks pretty likely. And man, 15 goals seems to be really something that's very likely to happen and possibly 20, which would be exciting. Wow. He's like this year's uh, Jacob Chikrin, I guess, minus the, some of the other peripherals, but yeah, it's been great. Uh, okay. Finally, Brian, I want to end the show in Washington. We had a really interesting conversation on the patron cast about Nicholas Backstrom. Uh, one of the patrons asked about how, like, you know, when he was injured, a lot of people were like excited for him to come back to potentially get, you know, back with Alex Ovechkin, like he has been for the majority of his career. But it really does seem at this point that that's not going to happen, right? Like Kuznetsov is not going to be leaving Ovi's side anytime soon. Kuznetsov, by the way, currently is on a run of eight points in his last seven games. Uh, he's pacing for 86 points on the season now through 39 games, which would tie his career high that he set in 2017-18. So, uh, I, yeah, and Ovechkin's obviously having this like amazing year himself. So I'd imagine there's no reason why you'd split those guys up. Currently, they're playing on a line with... Here's another, like, ask people to... Uh, do the listeners know who's currently been playing on that top line with Kuznetsov and Ovechkin? The answer is someone named Garnett Hathaway. So there you go, because Oshi is injured. So that's left Nicholas Backstrom to center the second line with Tom Wilson and either like a Connor Sherry or an Alexei Protas. Uh, of course, Backstrom's also been on the top power play. It's been nine games for Backstrom now. He's pretty much been his solid self, right? He has eight points in those nine games, including one goal and one assist versus the Sens in the 3-2 win on Saturday. So by now that we've had a bit of time to see, first of all, that Backstrom is probably not going to go back to centering Ovi at even strength, but also to see what he can do as the second line center and have from what we've seen can we be confident that he's gonna still be his 70 plus point self and it doesn't even matter who's on his line because he's nicholas backstrom and he's just great on his own right and obviously he still gets that top power play time or do you think this is like a nice run there's no way it can last if he's not centering ovi and he's instead centering tom wilson and whoever else connor sherry it's definitely not ideal, and that makes me concerned that, well, the upside, it makes me not concerned. It makes me pretty certain that the upside of Backstrom being, you know, a 75, 80-point guy could be gone, but he is, of course, still playing a huge role on the top power play, which is great. Three points in nine games. So, yeah, if Backstrom keeps getting a power play point every three games, he's going to be fine, regardless of what happens at five-on-five. Five. And at five-on-five, five, to Backstrom's credit, you know, he's not playing with Ovi, and he's like, you know what? I'm not playing with Alex Ovechkin right now. I'm going to take more shots for the, you know, it's, uh, he's done this before. 
Nicholas Backstrom has taken shots before, but good on him for upping his shot production. He's averaging over two and a half shots per game for just the third time in his career and the first time in about a decade. And on those shots, he's actually scoring far below his career shooting percentage, even though they seem to be like reasonably comparable shots in terms of location to the shots he's taken throughout his career. So Nicholas Backstrom is doing a pretty good job of making lemons out of lemonade. I was very ready when this question was asked to us on the patron cast to say, yeah, without Ovechkin, I don't know, it's going to be tough sledding for Backstrom 55, 60 points. But I think he's got a pretty good shot of hitting 70. The downside is just that going far past that doesn't seem possible for as long as he's not playing with Ovechkin, which could change, right? That could change at any moment. So if you have Backstrom, uh, be glad he's holding his own while he's not playing with Ovechkin and still hope he does at some point, because that would really help guarantee what he's been doing uh, in the past with Ovechkin to continue. Yeah, I mean, you said that on the patron cast, and I think I was like, I'm very confident he won't, but I guess there's obviously, there's always a chance, right? But uh, it's it's just going so well with Kuznetsov and Ovi, why change it? But I guess obviously uh, all it takes is a five-game cold streak, but it's not going to happen because they're great. So anyways, I'm just talking myself in circles here. By the way, it was Justin M who asked that great question on the patron cast. So thanks for the question, which uh, gave me the idea to end the show with this fun discussion with the Capitals. But Brian, here we are at the end of the show. And what a fun show it has been. We've covered all the injuries, which generally aren't that fun. But then we looked at some of the players that were affected. And then we got to the hot streaks and cold streaks. We talked about the schedule. So hopefully everyone is equipped and ready to go into February, into all these extra fantasy matchups and either turn their seasons around or keep their strong seasons going. Uh, because we're getting to uh, the crunch time here where we're going to start getting into playoff races and finding out who's going to make their fantasy playoffs and who's, I don't know, like rebuilding and trading for picks for next year if your league has that type of thing. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Brian, any final thoughts before we close out the show? I'm just going to say before we go, uh, there's been uh, a couple incidents of racism happening in other professional hockey leagues. And of course, you know, continues in the background of a lot of what happens in the NHL too. And uh, I just want to, you know, point that out and say, of course, you know, if you don't know where we stand on that right now, you haven't been paying too much attention. Um, it would be really great for everybody to speak up if they can about when they see something wrong happening to say something about it. And, uh, you know, if you're not sure where to look, for more information on how to be anti-racist when it comes to participating in hockey or fantasy hockey, which, thank goodness, I mean, we have a really wonderful community where um, racism does not uh, pervade as much as it does in some other hockey contexts. Um, but we work hard to make that happen, and we hope you all do, too. If you're looking for resources about anti-racism in hockey, uh, we have a link to a bunch of them that we made uh back six months ago or so it's keepingcarlson.com slash blm and you can find a bunch of twitter follows and organizations and websites and players and advocates podcast episodes videos articles books podcast places to donate uh that you can uh, find out more about how to do your part about keeping hockey an inclusive and welcoming space all right, yeah, and of course we'll link to all those things in the show notes for today's episode uh so yeah uh with that brian I guess back to just uh, closing out the show here. So thanks everyone for listening. Like I said, of course, if you want to support the show, 
please uh, follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Also follow Ben and Lewis at Short Shifts KK, Dave Betton from the Stream Scheme. Of course, if you really want to help the show, you can give us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show. You don't have to tell your league mates about it, but at least you can tell the world that you're enjoying us. Uh, and then if you really, really want to support the show, we have our Patreon program going where we have a really fun community that Brian just talked about, uh, which is a very fun and inclusive place where we're all giving each other advice and having a good time. And so if you become a patron, you get to join our community on Discord. You also get some other perks, such as access to our monthly patron cast, which are always a really fun show. But okay, Brian, with all that out of the way, I think I'm done blabbing for tonight. So let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our special super supporters, Patty, Rob, David, Derek, Tom, Andrea, Christopher, and Flash. Thank you so much for being here with us. And thank you to listener and all our patrons. Also, thanks to our Cupful coordinator, Kevin A. Bear, and our team of co-commissions. More info at kkupfl.com on how to play in the best fantasy hockey league in the world. Thanks uh, to Elon and Shams for keeping the stream of fantasy news rolling on the three essential fantasy hockey Twitter accounts at Game Day Lines, at Game Day News NHL, and at Game Day Goalies. Logo art by BrandonWeeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, HockeyGoldies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Yahoo, and NBC Sports Edge. Great job, as always, Brian. Really looking forward to hearing Ben and Lewis on the Short Shift shows later this week. And then, of course, talking to... Oh, not you next Sunday. You're taking next week off to do a move. And I actually have a, a very exciting ringer coming on the show. I think we might as well announce it here. Uh, Scott Cullen is going to be joining me to break down all of the news and notes from this coming week of NHL action. So, Brian, enjoy your vacation. And to everyone else, I'll talk to you in a week. Brian, what will you be doing during your extended time off before your next podcast? I'll be doing a lot of things, and I'll miss you all very much. But one thing I'm going to keep doing, and I really, especially uh, this time around, uh, we can't all do so much about hockey, but we can do all we can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.